The comments heard on The View from a Pew are those of Mac McCoy and are not necessarily the opinions of his guests, his producer Garth, any one particular denomination or religion, the church lady, Mr. Lemke, Pastor Craig, or anyone else of sound mind and body. Now here is today's The View from a Pew, heard all around the world on YouTube. Just search for The View from a Pew. Thank you, Emily. Welcome back. It's a Friday edition of The View from a Pew. Our lovingly time that we give to you each day and pray for you and hope that you learn something interesting about the Bible or theology or in the last couple of weeks just about song. And we thank you for listening. It's The View from a Pew with Pastor Delmar Austin and myself, Mac McCoy. It's a Friday, and that means we're going to wrap up our two-week conversation on song, but we're going to end it on a high note because there's a lot of wonderful things going on in our history written by, uh, written by people who went down as great authors, great singers, uh, great accompanists. Accompanists? Yeah, that's what I meant. (laughs) And great uh, people who translate, write, and are poets. So go ahead, Pastor, and let's hear about a few of the other songs that we uh, sing in church so often, and maybe we don't know everything about them, and you can help us understand a little bit more of that. You know, I'm going to do that, but I want to emphasize here that uh, if you're a church leader, that you really ought to make yourself familiar with with the whole spectrum of music and understand music and how it can be used uh, to build a worship service, to help a worship service have real power uh, to influence people's lives and motivate people. Uh, preachers like to preach, and they just assume talk all the time, but uh, music is powerful in how people's lives are touched but with it. William Cowper. William Cowper, maybe a lot of people don't know his name, didn't write that many hymns, but he wrote one significant hymn that's in most hymn books, and uh, it's almost an oddity today. The title of it is, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Isn't that an ugly picture? Yeah. (laughs) A fountain that's overflowing with blood. Well, he was a writer. He was a poet, lived back in the 1700s. He had a lot of mental health issues. Now, that's interesting. He had lost his mother when he was six years old. He had fallen in love with his cousin. Her father would not let him marry her. He became very depressed about that. He attempted suicide three different times. He was taken to an institution for the insane and uh, left there for some time. When he was finally released, he became more connected with evangelical Christianity. And he had a dream one night that he was, he was damned. Uh, that he was going to lose eternal salvation. And he was so concerned about that that he almost lost his faith in God. Later on in his life, he has another relationship with a woman, a widow, and uh, she dies as they're developing a a friendship and a relationship. And uh, so all of his life has been shaky uh, by the losses that he's experienced. He's gone through great uh, bouts of depression But there are moments in his life when he really sees the truth of the Bible. He sees that God is a loving God that wants to forgive. And when he understands that real clearly, 
when, real clearly, when he's at one of those moments of revelation, he writes this hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. It is a beautiful hymn, as bizarre as it may sound at first. It is a beautiful uh, hymn about forgiveness and what God does in a person's life. And even though we have anxiety and even though we look back at our lives and we see how bad that our lives have been, God is so gracious that he forgives all that and that he changes our lives. He washes away the stain of sin in our life and helps us to become the kind of people that he wants us to be. That is a beautiful thought. This is The View from a Pew, heard every single day live on your local radio station. But you can catch all of our webcasts, webcasts, all of our uh, podcasts, different places all around the Internet. Just Google The View from a Pew. There are a couple of different ministries that have a similar title. And so you'll probably run across another ministry called The Same Thing. And I want you to enjoy that, too. God calls us in the strangest ways to hear his word, his promises, and feel his love. All right, can we move from the big fountain now? Yes. (laughs) I want to tell you about one more story at least here of of the big uh, traditional hymns that really have meant so much to so many people over the the centuries. Um, The last one I want to refer to is Isaac Watts, another great hymn writer, wrote the one, Marching to Zion, uh, wrote Joy to the World, the the words to Joy to the World, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I mean, there is numerous, numerous uh, hymns that uh, he wrote. Now, Isaac Watts is writing about this same time period, and there is a change that is taking place in, in, in uh, Christian music at this time, because in England, at least, throughout that Christian uh, country, most of the hymns that are being used for worship are biblical hymns. They are melodies that have put together uh, from the words that have, is found in Scripture. Okay, now Isaac Watts believes, hey, we don't have to do it that way. We don't have to just follow the exact words of Scripture. We can write about somebody's personal testimony about how God has affected their life and and what happened when a sinner receives forgiveness and how his life has changed. We want to use it. uh, We want to use the wording in a little different way. And so Isaac Watts starts writing hymns that way. Now, there's a lot of people who don't like that, don't like change. They don't like you to play around with uh, music because music is so, it's so powerful and it's such a cultural thing. And uh, so they're, they're upset. They call, they call the music that Watts writes Watts whims. <laughs> Watts whims. Uh, come on, you're, you're not really doing hymns the way that they need to be done. Well, Isaac Watts thinks what he's doing is good and very necessary. So he's writing these songs, and they're criticizing him for what he does. And many of the ways that they uh, are objecting to him is they they refuse to sing. When, when, when in church, and they use one of the, the leaders of the church, use one of Isaac Watts' hymns, they won't sing. 
And and uh, if if they're uh, doing one of his hymns at the closing of Scripture, they'll just walk out. <laughs> they don't they, uh, they don't want anything to do with his music. Okay, so what is uh, thinking about all this as this transition is taking place? He writes that hymn, "Marching to Zion." What is the second verse of "Marching to Zion"? He includes a line in here that I think is really hilarious. Uh, and at the same time, an answer to all these critics that have been after him. He says, let those r- refuse to sing who never knew our God. <laughs> wow. If you're not going to sing my hymns, it's probably because you're not right with God. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but wow, man, he really hits them on, which reminds me that, you know, sometimes we get real picky in the way that we uh, criticize a lot of things. God put music there for a blessing. Music is so inspiring. It's so powerful. It needs to be used right, but let's not be overly critical about the, the people that are doing music and, and about the many variety of styles that music comes in to inspire us to know God and to uh, serve him better. Well, that is going to wrap up our two weeks program on music. And if you'd like to recommend something you'd like us to do a program on, just fill in the blank. What does the Bible say about blank? We're always looking for your ideas, always looking for ministry ideas, and one of the simplest ways is to ask you. I don't know how many people get the opportunity to listen to us or watch us or hear us every single day, but I know you do, and you're really the only one that counts because something touches you from the Bible and from a relationship that you have with Jesus, and Brother, sister, we're walking right beside you when you're going through all that. But remember that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us. And most of the time, the person we need to forgive the most is us. I get the opportunity to work with men sometimes who have bungled their lives to no end or they've been hurt by other wounds that people have caused them as fathers. And usually in the beginning... When we start talking about where the wounds come from, it's always other people. But eventually we realize that there is somebody by the name of Satan, the devil. I don't really care what you call him, but he lives within all of us. And he tells us that we that we're good people and that we need to hold resentments against those people against those people that hurt us and wounded us. And how could I ever, ever deny any type of life with that person? How could I ever, ever forgive them? My answer is simple. God said, I will forgive you the way you forgive others. Jesus put it in the Lord's Prayer. He wasn't messing around, and neither is God. See, God is love. Jesus is forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit puts it all together for us. So if we're going to say we follow this man from, I was about to say Bethlehem, but he lives in all of us, wherever you are right now. And he's asking you to forgive. And with that forgiveness, you will see joy. You will find strength that you never knew you had. Because, see, when we ask God for courage, 
He gives us something to be strong about. When we ask God for patience, he gives us something to worry us. When, he, when we pray for him for joy, he gives us so much joy that we can't help but see the joy that sits all around us. That joy comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of you who may not have one or don't know one or maybe just starting to seek, let me tell you, it's not hard. It's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you on the face of this earth. I've been on both sides of that line, and I can tell you, I'd much rather have a relationship with Jesus than the God I called Mac. See, we're our own gods. We are the idols that tear us down and destroy us. And the only thing that can heal us from that destruction is Jesus' death on the cross. Nope, you can't do anything but simply accept that gift of forgiveness from Jesus Christ. We thank you for another day and another week and another time on this radio program, this podcast, webcast. We also want to thank our DivineTruthChristianStore.com sponsors. We appreciate them being here, and we appreciate you. Remember, this weekend, think of someone you're carrying a resentment for and start the process of forgiving. Divine Truth Christian Store, where you'll find more.